Lee. Where's Lee McMunn? Come forward, please. Everybody say, hello, Lee. See, this is Emmanuel. Wow. Hi, everyone. Yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> Lee, you are a pastor in um, what country? So I'm, I'm from the UK. Uh, you might be able to tell my accent is slightly different. It's a little bit of, uh, yeah, my accent doesn't kind of fit any part of the UK. But where I live now, if you want to know, so you probably all know where London is. So go start in London, go north. Uh, to a place called York. Some of you I've lost you now, but York is in the north. It's old York. Yeah, old York. The yeah. first York. Yeah, um, okay, okay. The original, the authentic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not quite as cool as this New York, but, um, but then go east to the coast until your feet get wet. And then I live, I live on the coast in a place called Scarborough. And um, now, uh, am I right? You, the church you lead is called, what, 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 what's the church called? Uh, so the church uh, I have the privilege of pastoring is uh, called uh, Trinity Church Scarborough. So that's an Anglican church that, uh, in God's kindness and grace, we started five years ago. Uh, so by God's kindness, we're still there. Praise the Lord, eh? That's fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. And um, it is great to have you. So Lee uh, was uh, speaking and preaching at our diocesan uh, uh, mission conference and synod uh, this past week. And so Lee's going to be opening up the Bible for us this morning. Lee, it's fantastic to have you with us. Can I pray real quick? You can. I'm sure you can. Um, well, I don't know if you can pray quickly or well, if it takes no, you a we'll, long time. But um, we'll find out. Just for you, I just want to say it's been wonderful to be with you. It genuinely has. I fly back this afternoon. Uh, so I fly overnight and head back to the UK. Um, in, I will arrive tomorrow morning. But it's been a joy, just a joy to hang out over the last few days with um, different folk from the diocese. And just already now, I think, I think this is a precious community. I mean, precious. Don't take it for granted. Um, I've, you know, I don't know much about New York City at all. I've, I've been here once before, but never left the airport. Um, so my first time out of that. And, um, but just driving around, talking to people. Look, there's a lot of emptiness out there, isn't there? There's a lot of people who are living fragile lives, lots of performance and lots of sad hearts. Um, and this is, a, this is a little community that is trying to show a different way of how to survive. And not just survive, but how to thrive. And you've got the grace of Christ. Um, and already just through the service that we've sung together, we've had the word that's enriched us, we've had stories of honesty and transparency. Uh, don't take this for granted, you know, pray the Lord protects this and the Lord continues to grow you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have shaped through Jesus a family that is local, but more than local. Uh, that is uh, united across ethnicities, across uh, cities, across nations, across the world, uh, uh, united because we have been found by the Great Shepherd. Mm. And Father, I thank you that uh, the Great Shepherd finds people in, in every nation of the world uh, you have your own, and you call them by name, and they recognize the shepherd's voice, and they come to know you. And I thank you so much that that's happening in Scarborough, and that's happening in New York. And we ask that you do it more. Um, strengthen Lee and his family and the church that he leads, uh, and work within us that we may discover more deeply the beauty of Jesus Christ, that we may learn to describe Jesus as he is presented in the scriptures, both here and in Scarborough, uh, and that people might hear the shepherd's voice and get to know him. Yeah. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
All right, Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the, the matter. Daniel declared, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with his feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, and glory, and the kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Daniel chapter 7, 15 through 28. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, in which devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell. The thorn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came 
and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and a time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. The word of the Lord. I would really find it a great help this morning if you would have your Bibles open, or if you want to turn to the service sheet to Daniel chapter 7. I can't remember exactly when I was chatting to Jim about coming across, and I think it, uh, maybe it was a few months ago, and he did say, do you want to just pick any passage um, from what you've done before? And I no, I'll just preach whatever you're preaching through uh, at the moment. Um, what are you preaching? Oh, Daniel, great. I wonder what part of Daniel you'll be in. Oh, Daniel chapter 7, terrific. So here we are. So if, if you are... If you are new, or I suppose someone who's here for a week too, this is why we're here. Uh, church is preaching through Daniel. Um, this is commonly known as apocalyptic literature. Um, that is a word that may you not have come across before. It's simply a Greek word that means unveiling or revelation. It's kind of, if you think about that curtain, and um, you don't know what's behind that curtain, or some of you, if you've sneaked behind, but most of us don't know what it is. But if, if I want to give you an apocalypse of that, Behind there, I just unveil the curtain and then we just see it. And that's what apocalyptic uh, stuff is all about, to see what you couldn't see. But it's normally written uh, in, in a very different way from other parts of the Bible. So it's definitely not a, a history lesson. It's not a kind of a letter of poetry. It is full of images and, and weirdness. Now, that is not designed to freak us out. It's designed to fire our imaginations. That's what it's for. Um, so we're going to be taught Bible truths but we're going to be taught it through images that inspire our imagination. Does that make sense? That's what it is. Um, it is God's beautiful word. So let's pray with God's word open. Let's pray that we'd have the attentiveness to understand how we see much of Jesus and that he would help us by his spirit uh, to live it out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the written word of God. Uh, we pray that we listen well. We pray that our minds will be transformed, that our imaginations will be inspired today, and that you would give us uh, more courage to live for Jesus uh, and to know that his kingdom is where it really is all at. Uh, so we pray that for the glory of his name. Amen. Uh, let me ask you this question. How many people do you know who want to be part of something significant that will last forever? Right, how many people do you know? I guess I think that is the, the kind of the normal heartbeat of human beings around the world. But in some places, it's just really more obvious than others that people are desperately seeking to be involved in something that is truly of value, truly of significance, and that will not just last a few moments, but will last for a longer time. Is that true of New York City? Probably, as you look around people, your neighbors, your colleagues, maybe even you. 
Uh, I think the ambition is lived out in our personal lives all the time. And many of us have this desire in our hearts to be us personally involved in something that is of value, something that is meaningful, and something that is worth something. And we often have a determination not just to be involved in that, but to do it brilliantly. Okay, we kind of want to do it, and don't just be involved. We want to do it better than anybody that we will meet. Does that ring any bells with people you know? Ring a bells in your own heart? And we hope that as we are involved in it, and as we do it brilliantly, we kind of hope that other people notice. And yet here's the tragedy of so much of our activity. Either we never get anywhere close to it, or for the small number of individuals who seem to connect with their ambitions, it doesn't last long. We then watch it disappear through our fingers like sand. Now, for many people, there are normally only two phases in that search for lasting significance. Phase one, we try to find the pleasure. Phase two, we try to numb pain. What's phase one? We try and find the pleasure. So there's the initial enthusiasm. We're coming. Maybe you've arrived in the city and maybe this is it. This is your chance. Whatever area it is, it might be art. It might be music. It might be business. It might be architecture. Whatever it is, here's your moment. And you come with enthusiasm and drive and ambition. And this is the chance to find the pleasure. And maybe that's the phase you're at or people you know are at. Now, sometimes people in phase one, they just keep on track with the one thing and they keep going. Uh, for other people, the one thing disappoints them, but they're still in phase one. They're still enthusiastic. It's just not that, but it's out there. So they keep on going. They just replace the activity with something else. That's all phase one. There's joy, there's excitement, there's determination. It's just not in our grasp yet. You know, get that phase one. Phase two is different. Phase two is about numbing the pain. Because at some point, those in phase one understand that their quest has been a failure. And that's when it begins to hurt. And nobody likes things that hurt, so we become experts at medicating the pain away. And we've got so much, haven't we, to medicate the pain away. Uh, for some, it's just overwork and overactivity. It's easy to confuse the two of overwork in phase one and overwork in phase two. But do you know the difference? In phase one, you're working and working. Everything is about uh, consuming your life, activity. All the diaries always full. Everyone's busy, but you're, you're still hoping you'll find it. Phase two, overwork, is not about finding pleasure. It's about making sure you don't stop to feel the pain. So there's overwork to medicate. There is kind of escapist travel to medicate. There is casual sex to medicate the pain. There's alcohol, there's drugs. There's just loads and loads and loads. Now, this is not meant to be depressing. I just want to give you a bit of context. I have found there's only one way to break that depressing pattern. And that is to look for what we crave and what is in our hearts in a different place. 
And that is what we are shown in Daniel chapter 7. I've been pondering this for a long time. I really have. And, but there's been one question. I think I've been understanding what God has been teaching. But one of the initial questions for me was, what on earth does this got to do with a church in Manhattan? Okay. I know you've got all sorts of little creatures that run around your street, but, but most of you don't have problems with the beasts in chapter 7. And there seems to be a big disconnect, isn't there, between maybe how life is lived here and chapter 7. And I'm thinking, how do I, what's the connection point? And I think it was actually only yesterday. As I was driven in uh, by Jim and Amber, as we, we talked, as we looked at things, we asked some questions as I, uh, I saw things. I remember seeing a big a big uh, billboard yesterday of this kind of young woman, and all, all you saw was basically from her, her waist to about here, okay? And it was like the thinnest waist I've ever seen in my life. And this was the image, the body image that was presented as normal, and it was about some medical procedure, whatever it was going to be, that would take 30 minutes, and then you could get a figure like that. And I thought, goodness sake, if that is, if that is your target, your life is ruined. But what's the connection point? Because here is so many people running after things, whether they're in phase one and phase two. But then it struck me, Daniel chapter seven is presenting us gloriously with what? Something that is significant, something that will last forever, and something that is attainable and accessible to every single one of us. So I'm not saying don't run after him. I'm saying to you, run after in the right place. So let's think about it. Uh, Daniel chapter seven is actually very straightforward in terms of its structure. There's 14 verses uh, that recount this bizarre vision that Daniel has, probably around about 587 or perhaps just a bit less than that, uh, years before Christ. And then in the remainder, 15 to 28, those verses explain what it means. You got it? The, the first 14 verses, there's the vision, and then let's work out uh, what it means. Okay, well, let's think, what does he actually see? Uh, well, the first thing he sees are four strange and ferocious animals. Uh, verse 4, and number 1, what does he see? A beast. It's, it's a lion, and it's got eagle's wings. Now, I've not visited any zoos around here, but I bet you don't have one of them. <laughs> okay, but it's weird. And, and, and a lion's strong, uh, and yet it seems uh, to have flight. Verse 5, we get another one. A bear. But notice the bear is slightly raised up on one side. We'll come back to why that's significant, but that's the description. Verse 6, there's another one. A leopard, a very, very quick animal. That's the third beast. And then ver in verse 7, we get number 4. It's not actually compared to anything in particular, uh, the fourth beast. It's just presented as powerful and ultimately destructive. So there's this, the interesting four beasts. And just as we're trying to get our heads around this, the scene changes. So uh, in verse 9, uh, the scene changes. The camera switches round to something else. Listen to this, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were replaced, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. So there's scene uh, number two in the vision. And what do we see? There's now a someone. There's someone sitting on a throne. 
Fire your imaginations now. Rulers, conquerors sit on thrones. Here is a someone on a throne. And this is someone, it seems, who's very old. What's his name? The Ancient of Days. This is not just someone who's been around for a few years and will be gone tomorrow. This is the Ancient of Days. So many of us are rootless, aren't we? We're seeking something that goes all the way back. Well, here you go, the Ancient of Days. Someone very pure. All this discussion about white is not a racial thing. In the Bible, white here is purity, so his clothing is white. This is our ruler, an ancient ruler who's ultimately, utterly pure. And yet here is, here is a throne with fiery flames. In the Bible's imagery, this is about holiness. Uh, this is about someone you don't just stroll up to. Uh, here is someone utterly pure and holy, and someone very important. I don't know how many people attend you as you walk through the streets of New York. Do you have a little attendance to come with you? Probably not. What about here? 10,000 times 10,000 attendants stood before him. <laughs> I come from a country where we still have a queen. Okay, so when the queen goes around, she doesn't go out to our local Starbucks to grab a latte by herself. She never goes to Starbucks, by the way, to grab a latte. But when she does go out, look, there are motorcades, there are attendants, there are kind of corgis, everything just thrown in. Yeah, Prince Harry used to have a lot of that, but he doesn't get it anymore. But all that is just proclaiming that she is of utter importance. Uh, what is the link between this ruler and scene one, the four beasts? Well, listen to verse 11. I looked, and then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. You see the link? Uh, you start off in this vision in scene one, and you've got all these ferocious beasts, and they have domination and dominion, and then you get shown the one who controls it all. Their dominion is now taken away by the Ancient of Days. It's a picture of God in all his beautiful eternity and holiness, who ultimately calls the shots in the human world. Their dominion is taken away. And as we are pondering this, you know what happens next? The scene changes. The camera just switches again uh, as we arrive at verse 13. Look at this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came, notice the direction, to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, what was given? Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, it will never, ever be destroyed. Wow, there's, you see the links now? We've had temporary kingdoms, it seems. We've had the Ancient of Days, but now one like a son of man approaches. What do we get told about him? Here is a person coming to the Ancient of Days on the clouds of heaven. I don't know how often you've ridden on the clouds of heaven at work. I had my first experience of the subway today. It was not the clouds of heaven. It was, it was interesting. In the Bible, only God rides on the clouds of heaven. 
So this person that you are seeing coming towards the Ancient of Days is divine. Now, we will need our New Testaments to make sense of how one person coming towards another person, both of whom are divine, how it all fits together. But let me give you a bit of an insight. It is Jesus. But he's described here as one like a son of man. This is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as he will be because the clouds of heaven speak about his divinity, but he's like a son of man. So there is a humanity about this person. Ah, okay. Ever heard of a person who is fully divine and fully human? Well, that's not just a New Testament idea. It's all the way rooted here. And he comes to the Ancient of Days. That direction is important. He doesn't come away from the Ancient of Days. This is more like a coronation scene. And what happens when he approaches, he is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom for all kinds of people. And this is the dominion that will not pass away and a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Wow, we started off with these kind of beastly uh, kingdoms and then they got taken away because of the Ancient of Days. But that is now replaced by a kingdom for all people that will last forever. Well, there's the vision. Do you want to hear the explanation or have you got it already? (laughs) Well, let's just do a little bit of explanation. Verses 15 to 28. Daniel, well, it has affected him, shall we say. Uh, He wants to know what it's all about. What does it mean? Well, let's start with what we're told in verse 17. Uh, These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. That's what they are. The great beasts that we read about, they are four kings or representative of four kingdoms that will arise out of the earth. Now, I think simultaneously we can read this as they do refer to particular historical kingdoms, uh, but those kingdoms aren't specifically mentioned. So in God's wisdom, not only do they refer to particular historical examples, but they show a pattern that keeps on emerging throughout human history. Uh, What are the particular historical kingdoms? I think, and you can, I'm going to go home uh, later this afternoon, so I'm going to tell you what I think, and you can pick it up with your leaders. Um, I I think the four kingdoms are the kingdom of Babylonia, uh, the kingdom of Media Persia, the kingdom of Greece, and the kingdom of Rome. I think that is actually uh, what is what it's all about. Uh, Babylonia is very interesting with Nebuchadnezzar and stuff. You know the whole thing about the lions uh, and the eagle's wings. Elsewhere in Jeremiah, uh, there's kind of references to this. But actually, if you go back and, and see some of the stuff that they got from ancient Babylonia, there are all sorts of examples of lions and eagle's wings and stuff. It's just historically accurate, okay? Uh, but then this media Persia, remember the bear? The bear was slightly raised up to one side. I think I'm trying to do my bear impression, slightly raised up to one side. I think that's just a beautiful way of describing what was called the kingdom of media Persia, uh, because it wasn't equal. Uh, one, of, one of those who was much stronger, the kingdom of Persia, uh, was much stronger than the kingdom of media. Then it goes on to Greece uh, and Rome. But they're not named, which also means that they become symbolic of the pattern that we see again and again in human history. And what is that pattern? Kingdoms come and go. They just do. Human rulers, they come and go. Uh, they, have a, they have a moment on the stage of history, and then they go. Or more accurately, let me put it like this. The truth is that God permits them to arise. And when God decides in his wisdom it is time for them to go, he takes their dominion away when he determines. It is not an accident that they go. Remember, it's the ancient of days who takes away the domination. That is what we are being told. Now, what we've got to understand is that human kingdoms, even the most powerful, are temporary 
and are often beastly towards the people of God. Now, I don't know what's going to be happening in the Western world. I'm sure you're all aware of the, the winds of secularism that are all around us. Do not be surprised when the governments of the world and when the ideologies of the world in which we inhabit become more beastly towards the people of God. And notice it is directed particularly towards the people of God. Uh, there are some kingdoms out there that are just beastly towards everybody. But there are some that towards many of their citizens seem very humane. But for the people of God, there is a beastly encounter. Do not be surprised when we live through these times. It has happened before. It will happen again. But I think also, if I can make a secondary point, I think this is also true for a multitude of things that we run after to find our lasting significance. I started to talk about that. So often the things that we, we throw ourselves into, whether it's our company or to our art or to our theater or whatever it might be, we kind of throw our souls at them, but they don't last. And sometimes they become pretty beastly towards us. They use us. Everyone on the receiving end of this, you give your soul to something, they use you, they spit you out, and not long after you've gone, they have no idea who you are. So why do we keep on running after them? Well, because we don't generally know anything else. But the wonderful good news of Daniel chapter 7 is that there is an alternative. So listen to verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. It's almost like, get the point, forever. Is that enough? No, let's say it again. Forever. Is that enough? No, let's say it again. And ever. Look, forever and ever and ever. This is about something significant that will last forever. And who gets it? It is the saints of the Most High. We get that repeated again in verse uh, 27. Uh, between those verses, Daniel says, I want to know about this fourth kingdom, okay? It seems to be different from the others. It's got these kind of ten horns. Horns are a symbol of power. And then you've got this little horn that emerges. All very interesting, okay? I think the fourth beast is Rome. And then ten is a great symbol of other nations that will just arise again and again and again. I don't have time to talk about this little horn. Uh, that's maybe for another visit. Uh, but eventually, you get to the same declaration in verse 27. What happens? The kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to whom? To the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Now, you might have thought, I thought it was the Son of Man who got the kingdom. How about the saints getting the kingdom? Is this a contradiction? No, actually, Beautifully, it's both. Uh, you read the New Testament, the story of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it connects all the dots between the Son of Man, a favorite term for Jesus by himself and his people, and the kingdom just merges together. Jesus claims the title of the Son of Man, and he declares that he has come to set up a kingdom. And who is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus for? All peoples, all tribes, all languages. I know that sometimes where we live can be a whole hotchpot of, 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 of people struggling to work out all sorts of injustices. I don't know what it is you, you are struggling with here in New York City. But I know one of the things around the world is people look around and see racism all sorts of places. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has the answer. Do you know that? We have the answer in our smallness. Here is a kingdom. 
Here is a kingdom that is to unite people from every tribe and language. It is a beautiful thing. And as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become saints. Do you hear that? The saints are given the kingdom. As we trust in Christ, we are saints. Do you consider yourself as a saint? Is that Saint Jim? Look, are there any, this is the point, this is wonderful. As we trust in Christ, we become saints because we are so united to the Lord Jesus Christ that everything is, that is true of him becomes true of me. It's a bit like flying on a plane. I'm about to go and fly on a plane. Let me tell you, I am not very good at getting to 35,000 feet on my own. How are you, look, I'll, I'll tell you how far I can jump. That's it. That is it. But eight o'clock tonight, I will be soaring at 35,000 feet. And it's not because I'm going to get some magic energy drink at the airport. It's because I'm going to sit down, I'm going to get in a plane, and then whatever happens to the plane is going to happen to me. When the plane goes up, I will go up. When the pilot decides to take the plane down, I'm going down. I get in the plane, I'm united to it, and what happens to it happens to me. You know, something much more significant happens when you become a Christian. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become in him. In him. And not simply are your sins forgiven and your soul is purified, but everything that is true of Christ in his holy status now is yours. So you're not a saint because you've done pretty well this week. We're all rat bags. We're saints because Christ is holy. And that's why the kingdom belongs to us. And what does he want us to do? Matthew chapter 28 says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them. We serve Christ. How? We serve him as we share his word and so spread his rule, his kingdom, both to non-Christians in the city, but also to Christians in the church. And therefore we build the kingdom both in its depth and it's number, and one day, you know this, one day when Christ returns, we will rule in the new creation forever and ever. So let me finish, and I want to draw out three implications of this big truth uh, we've been presented with today. Uh, we've discovered that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is the only significant prize that will last forever. So what does that mean? First, let's believe it. Okay, let's believe it. Let's join in. <laughs> You join the kingdom. If you and your heart are looking for something that is significant and that will last forever and that will never disappoint you, come to Christ. Don't just know about him, but put your faith in him. Submit and surrender. It is not the way of slavery. It is a way to freedom. Trust and serve Jesus Christ as king and savior. Believe it, but then share it to young and to old, to those inside and outside the church. Wasn't it beautiful to see all the kiddies before they went downstairs and to pray for them and to see that the Lord has grown the number of children? What are you going to tell them about their dreams? Will you tell your children as they make their dreams of the future that the only kingdom that will ever last and ever truly satisfy is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what you've got to tell them, and that's what you've got to model to them. You're not robbing them of anything. You're actually preserving their joy and their life. What will you tell your city as their dreams fail them? 
Uh, Jim and I had dinner last night at some restaurant. I don't know where, where we were. Uh, uh, but I'm a, I'm a Brit here. I can say whatever I like because I fly home. And I don't know if to his embarrassment or not or his nervousness, but I started to chat to the waitress last night about what she believed about God. Is that a common thing you do? I don't know. You should try it. It's fun. Um, but she was really interesting because she was so lost and yet she was so hopeful that there was something else. There are many people beneath the veneer, beneath the makeup and beneath the shoes and the ball gowns and the suits. Their hearts are really fragile. Win the city. Bring people home with you. And then let's live uh, like this. Let's invest in what will last. If it is really true that it is the kingdom of Christ that will last forever and ever, and it's the king himself who will never disappoint you, well, let's invest in it. This is the knowledge that you want for all eternity. This is the knowledge that you want to grow in. This is the people that you want to commit to. These are the people that you want to attend and using your gifts and your talents to serve together. And there'll be all sorts of calls in your time and your money and your talents to be, to be poured into all sorts of other places. And Christ says, make sure you prioritize this little people because this is the kingdom that will last forever. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.